philosophers in space, 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 space. What happened to your eyes? Where am I going? You won't need eyes to see. Where are they? I don't know, sir. They must have hyperjets on that thing. And what do we got on this thing? A Cuisinart? No, sir. We'll find them, catch them. Would like to ask a question. What is it? Will I dream? Brain bugs? Frankly, I find the idea of a bug that thinks offensive. Hello, and welcome to Philosophers in Space. This is episode 64. Oh man, now I feel like we should have done something special for 64. That's a good. <laughs> nerdy number rather than like a 50 or a 100 or a 200 what do you think yeah How's we should we should have sang some beatles that we needed there would tie in with the topic that, well too. That's, that I, I think more in line with our show would be like the topic should have been like donkey kong 64 i don't know just okay. <laughs> find like a n64 game to do that would have been but if oh, we, well if we do when i'm 64 <laughs> then it's about will you still be in a caring relationship with me when i'm old and it ties in perfectly yeah, yeah. Such f- philosophical questions as "Will you still need me?" or "Will you still feed me?" Or, I'm saying that's good stuff. When I'm 64, yeah, no, that would have worked. Uh, but either way, we're here. We're excited. We're floating through space, and we uh, we got beamed the movie "I Am Mother," which is on. This is a Netflix, mm-hmm. I believe, a Netflix a- original, right? So coming from our Netflix, Netflix overlords, yep. Yeah, yeah, they're doing good stuff over there. It's it's fun. So uh, we're. I don't think we have to be like too terribly spoilery. Well, no, actually, we probably will. So go ahead and yeah. <laughs> if you want to watch it, go ahead and pause and watch it. But otherwise, you know, on a, on a scale of like one to ten in terms of the spoilers will ruin the entire thing. This is like somewhere in the middle. It's not really going to ruin. Yeah, but as you were saying think. before, we were talking like it's a little bit of a by the numbers kind of movie. Yeah. So it's like. What you think is probably going to happen is probably going to happen. <laughs> so uh, that's the movie, and we're going to talk about care ethics. And this is going to tie together with the next episode, too, which is going to be similar subject material, but uh, subject matter. Was that a word? Mm, did, I, yeah. did I just Aaron that one? <laughs> uh, <laughs> did I get 90% correct? Hey, I have a degree similar, in making up words. <laughs> similar subject matter, but kind of uh, a different philosophy off of it so this is going to be a little bit of a a two-part series i kind of like when we do those but for uh for today's purposes we're watching i am mother and uh let's step into the exposition zone you're traveling through another dimension beyond that which is known to podcasters it is the middle ground between fair use and copyright infringement between ordinary fanboying and meaningful analysis it is the exposition zone. All right. So, as is the case in a lot of things we watch, there's been an extinction event. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's been an apocalypse, Very guys. Plausible. That's what happens. Yeah. And uh, we don't, it is interesting the information we eventually piece together. You know, it's, it does a good job. This movie does a great job of kind of slowly telling you the story. Um, now it feels like it tells you a little too much of the story eventually, but (laughs) for the beginning, it's good because you're like, something has happened and it has left a robot named mother in charge of like a zillion embryos and robot, uh, mother is raising one of them 
uh, so far as we know. And uh, it's sort of that's that's most of the beginning is a robot raising a baby. And there's already so much to think about just right there, like in mm-hmm. terms of, of like for me as a parent, this was really like, it's amazing how many things and I'm sure a lot of people are this way. I feel like Aaron, if you were a parent, you'd be exactly the same. Wouldn't, wouldn't change you at all. But for me, oh. <laughs> I feel like it like, would yeah, just no, break I, me even more than I'm already broken. You'd be like, ah, I've got some kids, whatever. Who cares? Um, but no, for me, <laughs> it was like every things are so much more poignant in different ways, and uh, it's it's actually almost this was almost a, a horror movie for me in a way that I don't know that it would be for everybody. But just seeing a like a just a parentless baby born in a lab raised by a robot is just it's very difficult for me to watch so that that rose uh in me that kind of brought up all kinds of thoughts of like could robots raise humans like this and what would that be like um but in terms of the exposition zone eventually we we learn a little more and and uh, the the robot is you know doing I'm trying to think of the be- best comparison. Uh, it reminds me of some other movie or something, but doing the the educate educating the baby in like uh, what seems to be a very streamlined, research based way. You know, like it it seems as though the it's 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 what you'd kind of expect from AI being designed to raise uh, a child, or maybe designing itself to raise a baby. You know, it's like going through curriculum in a in a systematic way and doing, but but also. Teaching philosophy, we get a little bit of cheaty in there. A little There's bit of like good a little place. Bit of, yeah, a little bit of good place, uh, which you think is going to serve a purpose, and then unless I'm crazy, doesn't really serve all that much of a purpose. But maybe you well, can yeah, I think it serves a purpose that. by not serving a purpose. I'll give you that. How's that? Hmm. Okay. Okay. Doesn't everything serve a purpose? But <laughs> by not you get the hang of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, in terms of uh, the story actually developing in the plot, I think we do kind of have to be spoilery because otherwise we'd have to kind of stop there. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think we want to we'll sort of. Yeah, we'll just spoil it. Give the game away here. So, uh, I, I love the character names in this one. We meet woman. <laughs> so far, we have mother and daughter. I don't know. We've seen toddler, too. That's a very brief character. Like, if you look at the cast of characters, these are the actual names. We've met mother. <laughs> we've met. Woman, or we met daughter and we met toddler. Toddler was just a brief, like, you know, part of the uh, the, the Rocky montage of the mm-hmm. baby growing up. And then now we meet woman who uh, is, uh, what, what happens during the course of the movie is mother has said that the outside world is too toxic for humans. Like, it's just not, you can't go out there. It's not safe. And also, we sort of understand that mother's like running tests from time to time, like, kind of keeping up with what's going on outside so we so we think and it's too too dangerous no one can survive well all of a sudden one one evening when mother is in power convenient power down mode um where mother has to charge through the night so that's nice um there's a comes a rapping at the door (laughs) and uh there's somebody outside the little like cool i like the the airlock system we've got we've got the the double door kind of mm-hmm. keep keep people inside safe. That's cool. I, there's a lot of good drama. The in Simon that. Says touchpad. And, and uh, so the daughter lets the person in that was was a rapping on the door, and it's Hillary Swank, wouldn't you know? And she's like, "Oh, I love your work." Uh, no, um, <laughs> it's Hillary Swank, and she's uh, so we we can't really find out a lot about her, and and indeed everything we do find out about her t- 
turns out to be wrong for some reason. She's kind of lying about where she comes from. But um, that's what sets up the conflict because Hillary Swank does not trust the robots. And for good reason. Because all this time, what I like about this movie is there's it, it, a lot goes on in your own mind of like trying to fill in the pieces of like, okay, what happened here? Because like, you're not sure... You know, is this a human versus human conflict and humans set up like a robot to raise, you know, embryos in the case of of total annihilation kind of thing? That seems plausible. Uh, It's sort of a self-sufficient station to, you know, repopulate Mm -hmm. the planet. That's kind of seems like what it is initially, you know, even though it's not made explicit, I don't think. But then things get complicated because Hillary Swank says... No, no, all the robots killed all the humans. And she is, like, mortally afraid of Mother. And so it sets up this really interesting conflict. I think that's, I mean, that's probably as far as we need to go in terms of the plot, which is, you know, she can't, like, (laughs) you know, the questions of, does this, does Mother, the robot, really care for the child? Is she just following programming? Can the child, uh, or daughter, I guess is the technical character name, can daughter... Um, trust mother is mother just like these other killer robots is mother not like that. Like was mother a different robot, you know, like who, who's who and what's going on. And it raises all kinds of interesting questions, you know, like could, where will the dot, all the daughter, it's hard to put yourself in the place of a human that was raised by literally no one except one robot. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I don't think any of us have any clue what that, what that would be like. So the movie sets it up that. In, so, in a lot of ways, just the power of meeting another human, the only other human you've ever met, I think that that the daughter trusts the human a little more than maybe she would. Because if you've only been raised by this robot, I don't know, I feel like you'd have a strong, strong connection to this robot. So I don't know. Lots of interesting stuff to think about. I think we should hop on over and introduce some philosophy. Or if you want to fill in any uh, plot holes there, let, let me know. I mean, I think that's great. Um the other thing being that, like, down the line a little bit, you know, we get another character added in the form of another child, um, which I think plays a really important role. But all of this ties together, that's really. A, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, we're supposed to, we're meant to believe that this is kind of the first human, like, she's she's trying to get the hang of this mother is, because eventually mother has to raise all the embryos. Mm-hmm. And it's, it seems kind of weird to me that she's doing one at a time. You know, like, she is a robot. I feel like she could probably handle more than more than one she's doing like a controlled training on herself i think as like a learning machine yeah is the way that i read it right right but here's the thing about raising kids um <laughs> in and all I, this, this will be the first argument in favor of ro- the robot apocalypse i guess or no they're just maybe just in favor of robots raising our kids is the number one most difficult thing probably initially at least i'm talking the first couple of years obviously it changes a lot uh but is uh, being able to hear constant screaming and not have like a physiological panic reaction to it every time. Yeah. You know, and that's one place where robots would be great. Maybe you should just be <laughs> like, okay, mathematically, I know that this crying doesn't matter. Like, that's the thing. Babies, as long as you've taken care of the like th- one to three things that might be wrong. Are they fed? Are they, you know, is it a diaper or do they need a burp? Or there's like, there's like two other things. And they'll still be screaming for no reasons that you can do anything about. And so as a robot, you could be like, well, I know I've covered all the bases. So screaming, screaming, I don't care, which would be great. That'd be a cool thing to have. (laughs) So, yeah. But anyway, the point is she could have been doing multiple at a time, I think. But that's just me. 
Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of her sort of like being in this mode where she is required to figure out how to successfully create a good child before Mm -hmm. being before making use of the other children right the idea being that like if she had a bunch of children running around she couldn't control the environment enough and so couldn't create uh the supreme child um and also from a robot perspective you haven't you've got nothing but time like it doesn't matter these embryos are sitting there you know and they what do robots care about time yeah, and we get the sense ultimately that she's been lying about the periods of time that have gone on and are that are involved yeah. in this whole world situation. Um, but yeah, let's introduce some of the philosophy here because um, there's a there's a lot of really great stuff, as you were saying, in this that um, some of which I'm gonna you know sort of put a pin in, and we'll talk about it when we tie in the short, Asimov short story next time. But one thing that really jumped out to me when I was watching this movie is how much it's about the theory of care ethics. Just like in our previous episode, when I watched Fury Road, I really was immediately like, oh my god, it's it's very clearly eco-feminism. And it, one thing that's fun is um, these two tie together a little bit in the sense that care ethics is often viewed as a feminist theory. There's some debate about how much it should be viewed as specifically a feminist theory, but um, it is often associated with nurturing relationships, uh, often with mother-specific um, nurturing relationships, depending on the particular philosopher in question. Um, and so the fact that this story was about a mother, daughter, and surrogate mother character triad relationship i thought really brought all of this to the fore and then the movie i think itself is about how we need to reorient towards caring as the the primary way that we act ethically um and 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 how hard it how challenging it may be to train that kind of caring naturally um so that makes sense. So, like, yeah. give us the what is care ethics? Yeah. You know, like, what are the central... Right. And this is a Never tricky question, it, right? And right off the bat, we get a tricky question here because um, different people... <laughs> Only have... a philosopher would say that. Yeah. Hey, define the term that is the point of the show. Tricky question. Jeez. All right. You're really... Whoa. You're really throwing <laughs> curveballs at me. Huh. All right. Only um, a philosopher. So, care ethics... Here's how I, here's how I pitch care ethics. Care ethics is a, a theory that arises as a corrective to traditional deontological and utilitarian primarily ethical models that focus on pure rational maximizing methods of achieving the good and argue Mm. instead that the the center of our ethical universe as human beings should be the personal caring individual relationships that we build up over time and the systems of empathy and compassion that allow us to have those deep and meaningful relationships. So that's the elevator pitch. Okay. Okay. So that, you know, and there's a lot spirals off from that. So, you know, one, this arises originally, you know, this is the data over, you know, who's the first care ethicist. You could actually point to people like Mary Wollstonecraft as being someone who advanced this early. But it was sort of, I think, popularized by an individual named Carol Gilligan, who actually studied with Lawrence Kloberg, 
who is known for the de- uh, the development of moral progression, the, one of the classic models of moral progression that you may be sort of vaguely familiar with, the idea of like, mm. as you get more mature as an individual, you move from only thinking about yourself to being able to oh, have right. somewhat reciprocal relationships to being able to adopt, you know, this kind of view from nowhere, objective, rational view of justice or morality. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, you're familiar with that, right? So that view, which goes really well hand in hand with both Kantian and utilitarian kinds of models of reasoning about uh, morality, Gilligan comes along and says, this is problematic because, and this is actually backed up somewhat by data at that particular point, it disadvantages our understanding of ethics with regard to women in particular, because it emphasizes rational objectivity all the same things that you think about with our social justice warrior wars today right it's the same idea (laughs) of like this thing misunderstands how humans reason adopts the idea that they can reason in some radically objective fashion and in doing so undervalues the knowledge and insights that we can gain through empathy right yeah right so that rather instead of Instead of thinking that our goal should be to detach and detach and detach when we try to achieve our ultimate ethical goal, instead our goal should be attach more to other people through our connecting uh, empathic relationships. So that's that's the main corrective. Um, and you could argue whether it's one of the major um, issues that comes up with care ethics is, is it a distinct philosophy or a subset of some other ethical theory? And obviously lots of theories face that challenge. Um, I do think it arises as a corrective, but I think, you know, when I think of what what do we mean by a distinct theory in ethics, I think, does does it focus in on one important foundational ethical insight that has value that can be put in contrast with the values of other positions? And I do think in that case, care ethics is its own distinct view because it does emphasize these personal relationships as a kind of really important project of worth. Um, and obviously you could get there through other places like utilitarian, you know, you, you maximize the good by engaging in these personal relationships. But, you know, if you really do care about are these distinct theories, there are situations where the care ethicist is going to say, it's okay for you to sacrifice a hundred people to save your one loved one. Right, where the utilitarian is going to say that's not acceptable. And this movie, tying it back to our content here, right, this to me is a story about habituating a human being to have caring relationships as the center of their ethics rather than maximizing relationships or deontological relationships, which is why I said earlier that I think the the good place shtick is a a trick because the point is that's not actually how you teach someone to be ethical. And this is where care ethics and virtue theories overlap some in the sense that like you can't talk someone into being ethical if they don't actually engage in the practice. And the most important practice are these caring relationships. So the real trick that mother has to pull over the course of this movie is to get this girl to care about this child, but also to, I think, have enough willingness to cut everyone else off from access to this safe space so as to carry on Mother's plan. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, that's what's interesting. And and this comes down to a little bit of like what's I don't know what's the theory behind this movie um, mm-hmm. because I I wonder that too like why it, it seems weird for me and I, and I was I guess you know a lot of this could be after dark stuff I have a lot of like thoughts about the movie that I don't want to put into to this part of it but I am curious why the AI wanted and, and maybe it, it comes into play with the philosophy you're talking about like mm-hmm. why would the AI think okay I need to be able to raise a child perfectly so that I can then never raise another child and have that child raise the children. You know, like it seems, seems yeah. weird to me. Like why, why is mother not just raising all the children? Like, I, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. So my, my interpretation of it and, and this again, a little bit more spoilery, we find out that there have been previous children that mother failed to raise and then killed. It seems like, um, and, and at one point daughter finds their remains and, and that's what, um, motivates daughter to, to kill mother. My interpretation is mother was unable, it felt like, to train someone to actually genuinely care about ethics properly, I guess. And so what she had to do instead was conceive the situation with woman where the mm. interaction between woman and daughter supplants their, you know, that that, that it sort of takes brings in the other element and that having the child there as well i think brings in the other elements of caring that you can't get just by talking about trolley problems yeah and yeah i mean yeah i wonder if it's almost that's that's interesting because we do another spoiler alert we do find out that mother is not just mother mother is the full like collective consciousness of all the ai and this is and so so, oh, sorry. No, I was gonna say, and, and this is all part of her plan, right? Like, like, yeah, that part I kind of hated because I we, we can talk about that later. But like, I get, I they, I'm very, I, I could have used like a little bit more clarification on what what the why mother felt the need to do all this because mm-hmm. could it be that maybe because mother is like a collective, you know, gigantic galaxy brain, right, of all these AI, like. Mother can't have the, I guess, specific, like, parochial, mm-hmm. caring, sa- self-sacrificing, whatever it might be. Like, they, they're not able to have those emotions and thus raise kids properly. But then if that's yeah. the case, and I think this does go back to your care ethics topic a bit. But if that is the case, it seems weird then that mother could even raise one child that would be, you know, like if mother could do it mm-hmm. once, mother could, it's a robot. It could do it infinite times. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. And and <laughs> like, I don't think that my, my philosophy perfectly explains all of the plot holes of this movie. Certainly. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of like, well, why not do this? Um, I guess, uh, but I, I guess, you know, the, the important thing, obviously, you know, that I, I watch movies and metaphors like, yeah, this is what I was seeing in this was I was seeing both the strengths and the weaknesses of care ethics that like this mm-hmm. movie is at, at once an unpacking and and sort of, I think, critique of some of the problems with the care ethic view. So maybe we can talk about those a little bit, one of which is the parochial mm-hmm. problem that you just sort of alluded to, actually, um, which is that utilitarians and such will push back and say, you know, 
this is just an excuse for letting people care more about the people who are close to them, which humans are already strongly inclined to do anyway. And so like you're just leaning them into something that already causes them to be pretty unethical to begin with. And like for a psychological perspective, I'm sympathetic to that. Like here's what I think. It is true that those caring relationships are amongst if not the most important things in human life i in my opinion that like when you're yeah. when you're rela- when you're ranking the projects of worth in terms of how much they promote flourishing like those are very near the top um but care ethics doesn't i think do a particularly strong job of saying okay but when those relationships come into conflict in meaningful ways with the other moral obligations you have how should you address that Right. So I think it, it struggles a little bit with that. The same way that virtue theory does a little bit, right? It it sounds right on paper, but it doesn't always necessarily clearly explain how you should act in specific situations. Mm-hmm. Um so that's one major concern. Another concern is, and I think this ties in with this movie in interesting ways, um, is that care ethics kind of is a slave morality. Uh that it and this goes along with concerns about how what do we mean when we say that it's it's feminist? Are we reinforcing the problematic association of women as emotional versus men as rational or are we enshrining certain inequalities as a kind of virtue by saying especially in situations where the caring behavior is not um properly compensated within society right are we encouraging people to engage in a a behavior that is moral but to their detriment socioeconomically and how should how do we address that problem um and i mean like i think you get some of that here where this this whole movie sort of feels like enslaved relationships right the daughter feels kind of enslaved to mother mother feels kind of enslaved to the daughter and the goal is to kind of through love enslave the daughter to the new child does that make some sense Yeah, it's that's you know, it's funny when you said the phrase care ethics, I actually thought that was more about what it's going to be like. What is the what is the ethical concerns and considerations of this this commitment we make Mm -hmm. to kids? You know, it really is. And and it can't help but be, I think, a little bit. I don't know what the right word I was going to say sexist, but I don't know what that I don't know if it's that word, but it's because of the, you know, like the fact that statistically speaking you know women are the ones who are having uh children and then we think we attach all kinds of like commitments and obligations to that and so their lives are more impacted because they societally and and i guess for some number of biological reasons it's like it's expected that like okay now you you have a kid now you have to like sacrifice all this stuff like you just have and for some reason for men, it's like, well, it'd be good if you did, but like, eh. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not, it does, it's not looked at as like a 100% do or die thing societally. And I'm, of course, I'm speaking in broad strokes, you know, there's all, all kinds of exceptions to that. Um, but, but just like broadly, statistically speaking throughout history, that's been the, the, the way we set it up. Mm-hmm. And so that's an interesting question of like how much, you know what's a reasonable expectation uh, on on someone like a mother someone like a, any on any caregiver really like mm-hmm. what what is the line you know cuz we all want to be like well 
our kid matters more than anything ever. And we have to set aside our whole lives, but like, we can't really do that. Practically speaking, you know, like you, right. you still have to like, we still got to make a living. We still, still have to do whatever. And by the way, I think any parent is still entitled to their own life at least, you know? And it's, so it's an interesting question to be like, what, what are the requirements? What, what's, what's a fair expectation in terms of the next 18 to well, let's be realistic. Twenty-two years mm-hmm. years of of a kid, uh, you know, mooching off you. Yeah, I think it's tricky, and, and in a similar way, like care ethics, we might be concerned with lean people into the kind of helicopter parenting, where like that codependent yeah. relationship gets a little too strong. I mean, this movie is really about a codependent relationship in a lot of ways, and so yeah, you really are walking that fine line and the stuff you were saying earlier as well i think is important about how much do we relate this specifically to motherhood and i think you know modern care ethicists will largely i suspect say we don't want to claim that you know this is feminist in any other way other than a historic sense we think that men and women can engage in these empathic behaviors in all Mm -hmm. sorts of different ways and that we probably should broaden it out beyond this maternalistic kind of model itself or even a parenting model itself and say, look, and in, and even actually not just beyond those two, but also beyond the um, end of life stuff. Because I feel like those two get 90% mm, of the yeah. attention. It's like caring relationships at the beginning and the end of your life. But the reality is care ethics is one of those things that should be applied in all of your relationships all the time that like – it's an attempt to try to get you to be more attentive to other individuals in a more personal kind of way. So, yeah, I think you're you're right that we want to expand the concept in those kind of ways. And in doing so, it, it probably does move away from that kind of gendered place. I also now just thinking about it, I think robots should just raise our kids. <laughs> no, I would never... Personally, I could never not raise my kids because it's the best and it's all I want to do. But like, you know, from a detached point of view, I mean, what better thing to be able to like get not have any (laughs) like not have any, uh, I don't know, will or life of its own, but just dedicate it to raising kids than a robot. I mean, that's yeah, it's and it's almost in some ways that's kind (laughs) of a, a little bit of the power of this movie, which is like making the comparison to a robot like in so many ways uh, a parent you know I, I think largely moms especially when you talk about early on breastfeeding and all that you you really do become and and you know Lydia has expressed this a, a lot too you you're you're this weird servant to this thing that just like mm-hmm. you know you can't you don't you can't get out of it either it's like you you are just there to do what this thing needs you to do. So it so it's it's almost just an interesting image to draw the comparison to a robot that's just designed to like only do this and only this and not really worry about it, its own life. Yeah, it reminds me of the line in Terminator Two where she realizes that the Terminator would be a better oh, right, father yeah. than anyone else for John. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, one final thing before we run out of time here that I want to mention is one other potential pushback on this, or at least not pushback, at least sort of as inclusive a conversation as possible is while I do think that caring relationships are a a big part of human flourishing, I think we want to be careful and not argue that there's no way to live a life of flourishing that doesn't involve incredibly deep and meaningful relationships. And just in the sense that I, I don't 
think that we should try to that it, that it could intentional unintentionally sort of uh, devalue the lives of certain individuals who are quite happy but don't feel necessarily particularly close to any other one individual. Mm-hmm. So I guess I just wanted to, especially like um, uh, asexual individuals, for for example, might feel like there's a lot of pressure to be in relationships or uh, to to express affection in certain kinds of ways. So right, yeah. Well, I think I mean I I am in no by no means an expert on that at all, or even very well versed in it. But I I think that people who are asexual, who at least who I've uh, seen or you know seen post stuff or talk about it, yeah. it's not like they're they don't have relationships right. though. Yeah. So it's like it's still it does it doesn't have to be like a romantically sexual relationship in order to be a meaningful relationship. Absolutely. I I, I meant what I meant to say was. It's often associated. Those two things are often necessarily mm-hmm. associated in some people's minds, and that my understanding is uh, individuals like that often are sort of dealing with that assumption on top of though these other kinds of expectations, social expectations. Um, you're right. There's a specific. There's a different term which I'm I'm blanking on, which is just someone who doesn't have. Um, it doesn't have like any relationship. Yeah, like a strong need for uh, personal connection. To other individuals. I don't know if there's a term for yeah, that. I think it's called my dad. I think <laughs> the term. Oh, that's dark. <laughs> well, on that note, I have so many thoughts about this movie that I can't wait to talk about after dark. Um, but why don't we do what we do every episode? And you've already uh, teased it a little bit, but what are we going to be talking about next week? Yeah, so next week we're going to tie this to a short story um, called The Evitable Conflict um, instead mm. of The Inevitable Conflict. Um, it's the last of the compiled short stories in the iRobot short story collection, which we've already read one from the runaround, um, one that we did. This one will introduce, or it doesn't introduce it by name, but it in effect introduces the content of what's called the zeroth law, which is the fourth law of robotics that precedes the other three laws. Um, and it deals, the story, the story deals specifically with, a world where there are sort of super, super intelligent machines that are kind of running everything for humans at this point. Mm-hmm. We'll dive into questions of like, what is it like for a machine to have to try to protect humanity? And what is, what, is, what do you even mean when we talk about like producing and maximizing human good? Very interesting. I think we're going to maybe talk about some of that stuff after dark, too, Mm -hmm. because I I have a lot of thoughts on that about this movie. Can't wait for that. That'll be fun. And uh, what are our patrons? Patreon.com slash zero G. In addition to enjoying the bonus content every single week and all that and being two episodes ahead of the normies. What are they making you say this week? Yeah. So for our 25 tier patrons, special thanks to Corey Ebert, Sarah Wheeler, Michael Cohen is my favorite no-talent ass clown. Seculo <laughs> is a close second. And longing rusted furnace daybreak 17 benign 9 homecoming 1. I'm guessing that's cut off the word friend. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> so there you go. I like that there's always the splash damage on the different podcasts and stuff that people are patronizing. So There is. That, you know, it's okay. And special extra double bonus top caring, deepest caring relationship. Uh, thanks to our $50 not a clone patrons, Philip Gatt, 
Philosophy Club Book Club will live again. Thomas explains the Patreon names is my new favorite segment. And back over to you to read the last few names. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll assume that's I a time, timeline joke there. I love it. Good stuff. Thank you so much, patrons. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk more after dark. For everybody else, we'll see you next week. That's all for the main show, but if you'd like to go to patreon.com slash zero G, you can enjoy Philosophers in Space after dark. Here's a little sneak peek for you. Yeah, and uh, Ambria and Baby Fight Club, that kind of... Like, I have it's to just... mention there's a video, like the Boston Dynamics video, of Mother just, like, yeah. hitting the children with sticks and yeah. stuff. This has been a burst transmission of Philosophers in Space. All music written and performed by Thomas Smith. If you've enjoyed your infotainment upload, please locate the nearest podcast interface device and fill it with five-star ratings and glowing reviews. If you think ground control should spring for fun new goodies and content consider supporting us at patreon.com slash zero G. You can find us on Twitter at zero G philosophy, where Aaron will instantly and compulsively respond. Or you can email us at philosophersinspace at gmail.com. Finally, if you're sad that it takes so long for our signals to reach Earth, you can always find Thomas over at Serious Inquiries Only and Opening Arguments and Aaron over at Embrace the Void. Until next time, live long and philosopher.